Welcome to The Joe Cohen Show. Join me as I share my experience with biohacking and invite top health experts to explore the latest technology, supplements, research, and resources for optimizing your body and brain. Hey, everyone. I'm here with James Schmachtenberger, who is a successful serial entrepreneur with a lifelong focus using business and innovation to affect large-scale change for the benefit of humanity. He is the founder of and CEO of Neurohacker Collective, a company focused on making groundbreaking products for health and being through complex system science. His areas of expertise include nootropics, anti-aging and regenerative medicine, sleep, and fast-paced entrepreneurialism. He's been biohacking for a long time. How, how long have you been biohacking, James? Since before it was called biohacking? About Since like my late teens, early 20s, so over well, 20 well, years yeah, 20 years. Okay. So it's the same here. How old are you now? I just turned 40 a few months ago. Okay. So and you know, 20 years old. Biohacking, like 17, 18 years old. Right. And you were taking supplements from, what was your first supplements? A lot of the stuff that I started early was like around adrenal health. I had a lot of okay. adrenal issues in my like late teens, early 20s. So okay. I was doing all kinds of supportive herbs around that and you know, mostly supplements for being able to improve energy and cognitive function because I had a lot of adrenal issues. Those were things that I struggled quite a lot with in those days. So what do you, what did you start with? What was your approach? Yeah. I don't remember in terms of the exact supplements. One of the first like biohacky things that I did pretty early on was doing NAD IVs. Oh, and uh, you did that 20 years ago? Yeah, or yeah, like I did my first NADIVs when I was either twenty or twenty-one. Uh, wow, so this was like way before this was a thing. I actually you couldn't do right. it in the U.S. at the time. I had to go down to Mexico. Okay, it was like this little hole in the wall clinic. It was, I think, one of maybe two or three places in the world that had it at the time. Okay, and I didn't even know what it was. I just had heard really good things about the doctor who had been doing the treatments, and I was in. I was a couple of years into running my first like larger company and it just burned out terribly. My adrenals were failing. I you know, couldn't really focus, had very little energy. And so I ended up going down and I did three days in a row of very high dose intravenous NAD. And it was a game changer. Like that Seriously? experience, that wow. was actually a big part of what drove me into what eventually became Neurohacker because up to that point, I had already tried all kinds of different like healthy diets. I tried exercise programs. I'd done various supplementation and like things that helped, but nothing had been drastic. And like those three days, just, it was a life-changing type of an experience. It was like, I went in feeling exhausted, depressed, maybe barely able to focus. And by the end of the three days, I was like, filled with energy. My brain function was probably better than I had ever experienced it before. The depression yeah. had got replaced with motivation and just everything improved. Like my senses improved, my vision got clearer, my hearing got crisper. Um, and so Interesting. it was actually that experience. I was like, this needs to be available to people at a massive level. Cause like most people aren't going to go spend the kind of money I did go to some seemingly shady little clinic <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Like it, it, it was clear that really epic things existed, but they weren't readily accessible. And that was- How long did that effect last for? Years. 
probably at least you're saying from years. that one iv it lasted for years that's incredible yeah, I, I, at the time there wasn't NAD testing available, so I don't know what my baseline numbers were going in. I suspect that they were probably really low, which is why I saw so much benefit. Because I've seen you know, lots of people do NAD IVs at this point, and everyone that I've seen has a good effect. Not everyone has a totally life-changing effect like that. Okay. Uh, so I, I suspect that my numbers were pretty bad. But I I feel like the numbers shouldn't change for that long, meaning I feel like it should be, okay, you get a boost for a week and then it goes back to baseline. That's kind of what I would have suspected, but that wasn't my experience. I think maybe it just got you out of a certain funk and then you felt better. You got more energy. Right. You just got into a different pattern. That was definitely that part of it was like, there was a lot of things I wanted to be doing for my health at that point, And I just didn't have the energy to do them. And mm -hmm. once I did the NAD, all of a sudden I had a bunch of energy. And so coming off of that, I started exercising more. I cleaned up my diet more. I started focusing more on self-care in general. And so okay. probably uh, the fact that it sustained so long was that there was a number of other changes that got implemented, but they were changes that you know, even though I'm someone who generally has a pretty high degree of willpower, like I was just so wiped that I couldn't make it happen. And that okay. kind of gave me the boost necessary to make the other changes. But yeah, okay, that, so that was probably one of my first like big biohacking experiments that really set me on a lifelong path after that. What kind of framework do you use in order to understand if something is working for you? There's different ones. Like I do a fair amount of lab testing. And so like with okay. certain things, I'm looking at my labs over the course of time and seeing how different biomarkers are improving. That's obviously one of the most objective, clear ways of doing it. But there's a lot of things that I've done that either I haven't done the testing or they wouldn't necessarily show up as clearly in biomarkers as they do in just how I feel. So for me, a lot of it is actually just tracking the quality of my life experience. And some of that is in a structured way. Like I do tend to take an obscene amount of notes. Um, People okay. like make fun of me that everything is a spreadsheet because like, okay. I will like track all the supplements I'm taking, what I'm eating and what I notice after X amount of time on okay. different ones. And I'll sit and I'll write up assessments of what's going on in different parts of my health and then look after three months and see how much those things have changed from whatever new things I implemented. So some of it I do very formally. A lot of it's just at a kind of feeling level. Do you do uh, mega dosing experiments where you take a large dosage to see more acutely if something is impacting you? Yeah, not always, but it's definitely something that I've done. Okay. So that's times. another method. I feel like yeah. just long term, you take notes, you try to get a general sense. Is this working? Is it not? And then lab testing and then maybe some mega dosing. That's a general approach. Yeah, I've gotten a little bit more cautious as the years have gone on around mega dosing. It's still a thing okay. I do, but I do it more thoughtfully than I used to. Cause like before you got some bad experiences hear... from it. Yeah. Not necessarily things that are like super bad for me, but I remember probably 15 years or so ago, I had been reading some stuff about how good niacin is for you. And I was like, oh, if it's good at 50 milligrams, it's gotta be better at a thousand. Right. And, okay. so and what happened? A thousand, just massive flushing syndrome. Right. Okay, but that's not long-term, nice... though. I've taken up to 2,000 milligrams a day. Right. 
No, it wasn't like a long-term messed me up, but like I had okay. you know, four or five hours where I just couldn't be in my own skin. Like I was so hot, everything <laughs> was bright red and itchy. And I was like, please just let this be over. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. No, yeah. I no, never... but I've also yeah. done things that did have a little bit more detrimental effect because a lot of my health issues in my earlier life were around lack of like energy. No, there were a number of times, like when I first got into nootropics, for instance, I just started mega dosing a lot of the strongest stuff that was available. And like what? Like all the racetams. I never did well with any of those racetams. I just hate this. I know. Yeah. Personally, I just never did well with that. I don't know why it just doesn't work for me, but. Yeah. And so you like, you liked it and then you took more. You're like, okay, let me get more of this stuff. Yeah, I took enough of some of those that it started to put me into just like a really anxious, jittery state where even though I was hyper-focused and like super productive, I was not enjoying life. Yeah, everything okay. felt like it was, had to be handled this instant and it was going to be like catastrophic if I didn't. Okay. Uh, so those were things that I noticed in terms of my own feeling level, but then I also got outside feedback. Like I remember in the very, very early days of Neurohacker, before we had actually built it as a company, we were just doing like research and a bunch of experimentation. Myself and the other two founders had been like experimenting with all of the different racetams and modafinil and just like, pretty high doses. And in one way it was awesome because the amount of work that we were getting done was just incredible, but we didn't like, at least I didn't realize I was moving at such a fast pace that I started getting frustrated with everyone around me that wasn't moving at that kind of a pace. Mm. And basically all of our girlfriends at the time came and did an intervention. <laughs> so the three of us co-founders were sitting in an office, just like hammering workout. And our three girlfriends walked in and they're like, okay, guys, we're going to need you to change what you're doing. We, we don't know exactly what you're taking, but it's made you assholes. <laughs> okay. And you just can't do it anymore. <laughs> it wasn't like specifically... It's Laid it, off it on the racetams. Yeah. And I still okay. use some racetams here and there, though not nearly as much as I used to. Okay. What do you take? What's your go-to? In terms of racetams, I would say my favorite overall is probably New Pep. New Pep. That seems like most people's favorite these days. It's a really good one. It does so much for brain function, for like clarity, for energy, but it doesn't tend to push into the anxious kinds of mm. states that some of the other ones can. So that one I like a lot. And I would say aniracetam is another one that I'm a big fan of. Okay. That one also does a fair amount in terms of mental clarity, but it's actually an anxiolytic. So okay. it provides this really like calm, gentle, like focused type of energy. For the most part, nowadays I do quality of mind, the nootropics that we've developed and that's like my baseline, but then I will add things to that on certain days, depending on what type of work I'm doing. So okay. if there's a day where particularly if I've got to do a lot of finance work, cause I hate doing finance work then those would be days where I would add some racetams in and it's like the focus just cranks up so much that it overrides the fact that I don't want to be doing the thing and it makes it easy <laughs> okay. to just flow through the work. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so 
what do you what what's the mechanism of these rastams i'm curious why they don't work for me i guess i looked into it a while ago but i is it the amphoreceptors generally speaking they're depending on which racetam they're either predominantly focused on ramping up dopamine acetylcholine or glutamate and sometimes more than one and with those things people are going to respond differently based on where your starting point is right if you're someone who's already high in acetylcholine and you start ramping it up more it's actually going to be counterproductive and right, the thing is i guess strong. where you ramp up dopamine is an important factor it's, I right. guess it's in certain places because certain ways of increasing dopamine work for me, certain others don't. So I feel like right. that's probably a relevant factor. Do you want to hear about the one health hack that is sure to change your life? Okay, here it is. Subscribing to this podcast. 67% of listeners aren't following the show, so please don't forget to show your support by hitting the follow button now. You'll not only be supporting the show, but also investing in yourself and your health journey, all while helping to keep us ad-free. Let's talk about what methods uh, in terms of lab tests you're looking at that you're tweaking and you're seeing results. Okay, I took this and this changed. Where do you see, what do you want to move in the right direction? What have you been working on and moving in the right direction? And right. What, have, what have you seen work for those things? Like over the last few years, one of the things that I've been tracking more are different inflammatory markers because I've seen, I have some type of underlying G issue that tends to create a lot of inflammatory issues. And I've done piles of lab testing to try to figure out what the thing is and haven't been successful. So then I'm just looking at what are the effects of it. A few like close friends who are some of the top physicians in these spaces. I'm like, okay, here's what's going on. Tell me what labs to run. Tell me how to interpret the labs <laughs> and then okay. we'll do various changes and then go back and do it again. And some of it I know, but I like personally, I've spent a lot more of my life studying in the domains of personal development, different aspects mm. of psychology, philosophy, like that's been my area. And that was actually a big driver for moving into this space was that both in myself and in a lot of people, I saw that. People spend a lot of time suffering in like psycho-emotional ways, some of which was driven by early childhood trauma and bad circumstances, but some of it was also driven by health issues. And where a lot of my focus particularly early in my career was more on the psychology side, I saw a lot of people doing so much work trying to get to a healthier place, trying to feel better and hitting up against walls because their body was working against them. And that became a real driver. I was like, look, if we can help people be able to take away some of the primary physiological drivers of feeling depressed, anxious, overwhelmed, whatever the things are, then the psycho-emotional work actually becomes far easier and more attractive. So that's more my direct area of expertise. This is an area that I've learned a lot over the years, but never really gone super deep into some of the research because I happen to be really fortunate to both be friends with a lot of the best people and now have a whole team of researchers in my company. So I, I, I shortcutting it a lot of times. Yeah, no, I, 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 everybody has to pick like which you have to shortcut things in life, right? If you really go deep into everything, then 
you're not going to have time to do anything. So everybody has to pick what they want to really go into. One of the things I felt just, and this is like my own perspective, is that I just didn't trust anybody in terms of what they had to say about my health. <laughs> Being like, fair. I'll trust, you know, I, I'll delegate a lot. But my health is one of the only things I don't delegate. I, and I'm very skeptical that anybody else knows better. I'll listen to people. But right. one of the things I realized is a lot of experts, the vast majority, if not all of them, are really, they use their own body as the centerpiece of what to advise other people. And instead of data, which which is why you know, you've been in the industry for many years. I've been here uh, in the industry for many years. You go to one doctor and all they're involved with is like mold and Lyme disease <laughs> or right. whatever. And and either that doctor had Lyme disease or mold disease or, or one of them. And, and now they think everybody has it. And so right. you go in, they do a test and lo and behold, whoa, you're positive, right? And then it's, wait, how many, I want to see the data. So I'm the type of person that would be like, let me see the data of all of your patients. And I want to see what percentage were positive and negative on this test. And something tells me that there would be like a 99% positivity rate. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe I'm just cynical, but that's- I think your approach yeah. is actually the right approach. I, I think that health is one of the most important things that people should take self-responsibility around and not just put trust in others. And, and I do a lot of that. Like I, I maybe overstate how much I lead on people, but I'm also in a unique position where I don't tend to have to rely on a single doctor where they have their own biases, right? Like I'll go and talk to three or four experts and then I'll look at where does their feedback all overlap and where their feedback all overlaps. I'm like, okay, this is probably something. Because otherwise, yeah, you go to one physician, it's everything is adrenal issues. And another one, everyone. Right, exactly. And that's totally a thing. <laughs> and it's not. But you notice that. You'll go to somebody who's a specialist in adrenal issues and you go to them. Yeah, you've got yeah. adrenal issues, right? You, Yeah, you've got these issues. Well, I, you see that at the individual yeah. level and you also see that at the fat level. Because like I've been in the industry long enough that I've seen not just like individual doctors, but the whole industry where it's like, oh, it's all about this right now. And then a year right. later, it's all about- You've got leaky thing. gut. <laughs> right. Yeah, leaky gut was like, what, maybe a decade ago, everyone had leaky gut. And the thing is like, in most of these cases, they're actually not wrong. It just may or may not be the most important thing for you, right? Like based on a lot of the clinical data that you find, like, yeah, the majority of people do have leaky gut. The majority of people have adrenal insufficiency. The majority of people have candida overgrowth. And those are all important things to address. They just might not be the most crucial places to start for each individual person. And that's where you need someone. I yeah, but it's yourself. also like saying everybody's got oxidative stress because you're everybody breathes. <laughs> like, I'm sure there's some right. candida particles in, in everybody. But yeah, the question is if it's impacting. I don't know if Lyme, everybody's got Lyme disease, right? Actually... So my understanding, a lot of the newer research that's come out in the last few years is indicating that Lyme is nearly ubiquitous, more so well, that... in certain regions than others. And there's obviously varying different degrees of Lyme. And, and if that were the case, then the question of is that causing the problems in somebody is less likely to be the case because then everybody's got Lyme. 
So why are you having one issue and somebody else is having another issue? Lyme or is some people don't. Interesting, yeah. weird one because it does it causes issues almost everywhere. It, it it is like a fundamental thing where how it presents for one person versus another person may be totally different, though the underlying causation can be the same. Okay, so let's go down this line, right? How would you test for it? So there's going to be a certain test, and if almost everybody has it, most people, the results are, not, the, the test that I'm assuming they're going to do is going to be 90%, you're going to have Lyme. Okay, you get that result, now what do you do with it? <laughs> How does that affect treatment? Right. It may or may not affect treatment at all. Like I remember a decade ago, I was doing a bunch of lab work with a autoimmune Lyme specialist. And it turned out I had two Lyme bands that showed up on my lab work. So okay. it, it wasn't enough to be diagnosed as full bore Lyme, but I had, I guess an easy way to say it would be like low level Lyme. And, but we did a bunch of other labs and it was like, there's other stuff happening that's clearly more damaging and more acute. So we're just not even going to pay attention to the Lyme. Whereas like okay. someone who has it quite badly, it can completely wreck your life and absolutely becomes the primary area of focus. But also how so, it's treated is different for different people, right? Because Lyme and a lot of autoimmune conditions, a lot of Lyme, like they'll present really differently for different people because they're basically weakening the whole system. And then whatever aspects of your physiology are already predisposed to issues will tend to get worse. Um, okay. And so though the underlying causation might be there, oftentimes you actually have to start by treating more where the symptomology shows up just to even have enough health and bandwidth to be able to do more. If you okay. really advanced live and been dealing with it for years, you likely don't have the energy to be able to go straight into all of the necessary treatments. So sometimes there's other things just to get to enough of a baseline of health to be able to go deeper. Okay. So let's, yeah, I basically, my approach to health and there's pros and cons to this is my baseline assumption is that if I have not seen the research, I don't believe it. And, and the negatives are that there's been situations where quite a few in the past where I just said, I don't see the evidence. And so I didn't believe it. And then it turned out I did see the evidence and then I believed it. So I would put Lyme into that category in the sense that I haven't seen the evidence. And so I don't, I'm not on board on that train uh, just mm -hmm. because I've never, I haven't come across that research where, you know, like legitimate papers that show that there's, and maybe you could send it to me. I'd love to see it, but I'm just saying like, that's, I, I just want to like, that's my general kind of approach to health. And there's right. been many things where that's been correct. I, I think that not buying into certain things has saved me a lot as well. So I guess there's a balance in whether you want more false positive or false negative, right? <laughs> what do you prefer? <laughs> because sometimes you know where there's a lack approach, of evidence also. Yeah. I, I think that approach, personally, I believe it's a really good approach, but I think it's a incomplete approach, right? It's a very intellectual, like analytical approach to health. And that should be the case for sure, right? Like you should really value what the clinical data shows and what degree of evidence there is around things, but that's not the entire picture because the whole science community knows that we know very little about human physiology. We know a ton, but it's a small fraction of what will be known, right? And of the stuff that we know, a lot of it's not even correct. 
right? Give or take 50%, every article that is published in medical journals is then proven to be inaccurate within 10 years. So not only do we not know everything there is to know, but a chunk of what we know is just going to become wrong. So right. using an analytical approach is useful, but it shouldn't be the only thing. I think that using a more like gut or intuitive type of approach is also really crucial because there are so many things that can be beneficial where they just may not have had the clinical evidence, but there is the sort of like innate intelligence that the body has. And if you learn how to tune into it, it can be incredibly informative. But in the same yeah. way, like, oh, I get a gut feeling about something. It's like you train that ability to be able to start to use it, not just when the gut feeling automatically comes up, but actually be able to lean into that. Because there's so many things that the mind doesn't have the capacity to factor that the entire system does. Now that's so I, more I, an individual level, right? Like, yeah. Like for us, like when we're building products for thousands and thousands of people, we are then predominantly doing that off of clinical evidence. Although even there, it is still insufficient, right? Like right. there are certain ingredients that have been used in like TCM or Ayurvedic medicine for thousands of years. And just no one has ever funded the clinical studies, but you've got thousands of years and millions of people who have continually reported certain benefits from particular ingredients and to discredit that because it hasn't been formalized actually doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So I would like to say that I do take that into account as well. So either I have data or I'll just try something. And if there's some kind of mechanism, which you don't need human studies to have that mechanism, you could have animal studies, you could have sometimes metabolomic, something mechanistic, but usually it would be animal studies. If I have animal studies and then I try it on myself and it works well, or there's a some kind of traditional approach, very strong traditional knowledge for something, I can experiment and then see if it works for me. I would say with the Lyme thing, that's a little different because that, what are you going to try to see if that theory is correct? Right, you're going to go and try antibiotics for a year. <laughs> that, that's not a very, it yeah. wouldn't be a wise experiment in my point of view. No, just like randomly taking antibiotics, not knowing if you need them is not something that I would generally encourage for right. people. And yeah, if you're going to treat Lyme, there are different natural things that you're going to take, but inevitably you are going to end up dealing with pretty high doses of antibiotics for really long periods of time. So for something like that, yeah, I would have. Did you, did you take antibiotics for a really long time? No, not for a really long time. Like for Lyme, for instance, most of the time if people have it to a fairly significant extent, you're talking about being on two to three different antibiotics for six months. I've never done that. I was several years ago, I had done a bunch of lab work and it turned out I had Yersinia, which is a bacteria that's part of the same family that was the bubonic plague. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> so fun. <laughs> it wasn't the plague, but it was, it was in that same family and it was definitely causing a bunch of issues. Okay. So and you got rid of it? Issues, GI issues. Yeah. And like I did the whole natural protocol, which probably was like eight or nine different supplements three times a day, some dietary changes, but I also did about a month of antibiotics for that. Okay. And then you noticed it was gone. Yeah. 
Yeah, at least it was the levels were at least low enough that they were then re-showing up on lab tests. Whether or not there was okay. some there is not known because with a lot of and then levels, how did you feel? There's like a base threshold, notably better. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it, and that I continued over time. Yeah, yeah. Particularly there, I noticed a lot of benefit in joints. Um, okay, I had been I had had the propensity for joint tears. And I couldn't oh. figure out why. Like there was clearly something systemic going on that made me susceptible because I had torn shoulders, lifting weights and torn, you know, meniscus going on a sprint and like things that weren't major injuries that should have caused joint tears. Okay. And so I went and did, you know, PRP injections and other things to heal the tears. But I also then was like, why do I keep having these issues? And your semi ended up being a meaningful part of that. And after that, there was, I still seem to have some susceptibility for joint issues, but a lot less than I used to. Okay. Interesting. And you, are you yeah. still working out like a fair bit or? Yeah, I usually, I do weights like three days a week uh, and then other days I'll do other things. I try to get as much of my exercise from sports as I can because they're just more fun. For sure. I've never been someone who gets like really excited about spending my time in the gym. Um, I hate the gym. You know, the last six months or so, I've been really consistent with it. And the thing that's helped me is bringing in the social element. So I basically converted my garage into a gym. And mm. for a number of months, it was sitting there with all this beautiful gym equipment, barely getting used. And I ended up reaching out to some friends who live nearby. And I'm like, hey, I know you've been wanting to work out too, and you're not doing it. How about we set a schedule and do it together? And okay, I like that. The accountability piece and the fun of spending time with friends has made it super easy to be totally consistent. Yeah, what I did, what I, I guess I did a bunch. Like I was doing different workouts, some weights, some jogging, some this and whatever different volleyball, and then I just dropped everything. And now all I do is acro yoga. <laughs> I've been seeing it online. It looks like you've been doing a lot of acro. So all my workouts, so either I'm, I still ride a bike to the studio and then back, but, and then I'll, if I have to go somewhere, I'll go by usually by bike or, or walking. But besides that, like just my exercise, it's pretty much, and then I try to go to the gym once in a while, like once every two weeks now, but it's pretty much just acro yoga. And, and the reason I do that is because it combines, it combined a lot of things that I wanted in one go. Right. So number one, there's a social element. And so if you're working out in the gym, you're alone for more or less. Even if you're with a friend, you're not like really working out together and you're not like it's not interactive. It's OK. You do these weights. I'll do these. So you don't have that social element. And so then you have to fit into your life some kind of social element. So that's an element that, again, it takes off a burden and I'm just more at peace just living my life, doing whatever, just being in my own lane. So it's got the social, it's got that touch element. And then it also has flexibility, strength, mm -hmm. like a little bit of cardio, because some sometimes you're doing like, like you do sweat a lot, right? So right. if you're sweating, and there's a nice combination of both working major muscle groups for strength, but also working all the balancing muscles. And then, yeah, exactly. So you're balancing, it's working on balance, mobility, flexibility, and then also right. strength, a little bit of cardio. So it has that combination of everything. Not necessarily ideal for everything. But in the gym also, 
Like I never have to do leg workouts because a lot of it is leg workouts, right? You're basically and then, leg pressing people all day. <laughs> yeah, you're leg pressing people all my I'm doing like the it's crazy how much and then I I ride my bike there, so my legs are like getting massive now. I think I gained a few kilos of just leg muscles. And then yes. you're also like pressing and so you're using your arms, you're using your shoulders, you're lifting people, your biceps, like you're using everything more or less your back. I, I feel like yeah, so you're working a little bit on strength. And then flexibility, you got to straighten your legs. And so it, it works on everything. And, and so I guess that's why I'm just like, all right, I found my thing. I'm just going to go with this. And that's that. <laughs> it, it's so efficient. I think that's actually a better approach. Like, I think most people, we all know there's these things we're supposed to do for our health. And we try to, like, force ourselves to become the picture of what we saw someone else doing on Instagram. But that's what I try to do. If it's not, I was like, okay, natural. yeah. I've. I spent years guilting myself about why I wouldn't go to the gym. And then at a certain point, I'm like, I just don't like doing it. But I will play sports for hours and like pour sweat and push myself hard enough that I'm almost on the verge of vomiting because I like doing it. The thing is fun. And so I'll put so much more effort into it. And some people, they love being in the gym. And for those people, that's awesome. And they should totally do it. But I think that's, a lot of times we psych ourselves out of exercise or other aspects of health as well, because the way that we think we have to do it sounds terrible and it doesn't have to be. Yeah. The thing is it never, for me, exercise, I never had a problem doing it. It's just that I guess I tried, I got into this phase where I was following what Peter Atia was saying and some other people, right? Cause I never was big in exercise. So that's an area where I didn't know as much as other people. And so I decided, okay, let me try to learn more from these people who have been in it for a while. Peter T is one of them. Or some people really hone in on their exercise routines. I do this. What Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm like doing flexibility day, back day, knee day. Andrew Huberman, I got my ankle day, my leg press. I'm doing flexibility. And I started doing it one by one. I'm just like, oh, my God. I'm just working out all day. I got to oh, do you know, the, there's the posture exercise. There's a huge problem when you start following multiple people and then you're right. like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And that makes sense. And you're like, wait, I'm trying to fit in 14 hours of exercise every day. No, literally it was like 20 hours of exercise. No, you got to do flexibility. <laughs> like, okay, I got to do yoga for a half hour a day. Then there's mobility. So there's special mobility training. Like, I'm like, oh, I got to do a half hour of mobility a day. Then you got to do yeah. weightlifting. Then there's legs, there's back, there's, you can't only work out your arms or your chest. Or your, you got to do the whole thing. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh, who has time to do anything else? And so I'm just like, no, no, this is not working. for. And then you got to do the cardio. Two two hours of zone two, three hours of zone two a week. And the zone four. <laughs> zone four. Rucking. Yeah. I'm just like, what is going on here? I'm just working out for 25 hours a week. <laughs> I don't no, have time I, that, to do anything else. <laughs> I'm worn out from working out so much. And then it's, you got to prepare. Then you got to shower after. It's like the whole thing. Yeah. No, I did that same thing with supplements some years ago where like I had, I watched a bunch of podcasts from all these people and heard about all these epic supplements that I went and met with some different doctors and they were giving me protocols. And I was like, I'm just going to do all of it. And I put it all together. At one point I was doing over 300 <laughs> capsules a day. <laughs> like I can't eat 
Literally, like every time I sit to take capsules, it's 60 to 80 capsules. And between that many You're capsules and that much water, capsules I'm like, today? oh my God. <laughs> and you would think you would feel amazing, but I'm like, no, I feel nauseous. I can't digest all of it. <laughs> capsules a day. Dude, that's hilarious, man. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Literally 300 capsules? Oh, yeah, no, I counted it out. It was 300. How many? Yeah, I was well, taking we... supplements five times a day. What time? Yeah, I mean, like, my first thing in the morning and my right before bed were, like, the biggest. Those ones were, like, close to 100 each. And then the other ones were a little bit smaller. But still, it's a cup of supplements. You're like, look, look, look. And oh I God. suck at swallowing pills, right? I can only swallow two capsules at a time. So oh, my gosh. incredibly time-consuming. It was the whole day you were just chucking pills. <laughs> All freaking day. Oh, my gosh. I can take 10 down at a time. Yeah. I take... I've always wished. But wait, what did you do? I, and, and I'm assuming you were taking stuff that wasn't capsules also. You were taking powders? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Capsules, tablets, so you were, liquids, powders. And then, powders. like, probably some of them had multiple <laughs> ingredients. You probably were taking, like, 400 supplements. <laughs> and I had just, I don't know why I'd gotten in this weird headspace. I just heard, oh, this thing's great. Okay, I'm going to get that. And this thing's great. But then I wasn't doing, like, the next level of research and looking at, oh, 14 of these things have the same ingredient in them. So with some stuff, I'm getting like oh way more of individual ingredients than my body could actually process. Which, what did you, how did you feel besides nausea? <laughs> I just felt weird because it was like, in some ways I felt great, right? Because my body's just getting massive amounts of the best nutrition that you could ever imagine. And so there were ways where I was like super energetic and felt really good but then i'm like constantly nauseous because it's just not supposed to break down that many fucking capsules and then also a lot of those things are impacting hormones and other stuff so i was like emotionally unregulated so i felt really energetic but then sometimes i was like super happy and then all of a sudden i'd be depressed and then i was really happy and i was like all right this is not working for me <laughs> oh my gosh that's too funny you were taking that many stuff. That's got to be like a world record. I'm kind of surprised you haven't done that. <laughs> no, I think the most I've taken is, and that's, I'm still taking it. It's uh, about 150. That's a lot. But it and and I would say it's not all pills. So the pills are probably over 100. Let me think yeah. about that. There's probably, yeah, there's probably like 100 pills or maybe 120. No, it's probably 120 pills. And then 30 ingredients that are in powders, something like that. And I guess it depends on how you slice it because some things have more than one ingredient, but then sometimes you take more than one pill. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is I did notice, so I do very comprehensive lab tests and I, I like right. I told you, I don't trust anybody. And I honestly, I think that's one of the best decisions I've ever made <laughs> because I, so I, I have two, I have a couple approaches, right? Number one is I rely very heavily on software. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have to rely heavily on software. And that was a huge game changer for me. So there's different kinds of software that I relied heavily on. One is genetics. So you could see mm -hmm. with genetics, you could see a whole bunch of stuff. And, and that's one of the reasons why I started self-decode. And then also why we have labs in self-decode is because I realized how important labs are, right? The, the, the main right. technology is in genetics, but there's some features in the labs, and I, I realized how important it was. And once I actually started using it, it was a massive game changer. And, and I'll explain why. Because if you take a lab test 10 years ago, you have no idea what that number is. 
unless you have some kind of freak autistic memory, photogenic, whatever, even I have a really good memory for numbers. And you can ask me, what's your number for a random lab test? I'll tell you. And I could even tell you numbers over time. Like I've one of these, I've got pretty good memory when it comes to numbers and stuff. Right. And so I, I can tell you these numbers, but when it, but even because I'm testing 300 lab markers at a time and I'm doing it, I've been testing lab markers for 11 years already and saving them. So it's not only tested, I tested before, but I didn't, I don't think I didn't save it. And so I, I realized 11 years ago, this is really important. I got to start taking tests and saving them. And, and then, what but then you don't you see the trend. tracking over duration. Are you just, I'll show you. Yeah, I'll show you. And, and I'll show you why it's a, it's a game changer. It's you're going it, to, it'll be pretty clear once I show you, it's hard to explain really without seeing it, but I'll show you. So here's my lab markers. And you could just type in any lab marker, mm -hmm. right? So the, the genetic stuff tells me, it gives me a lot of directions about where to go. But so let's say I look at homocysteine. Okay. You could see every time I checked homocysteine since June, 2012. Nice. And it, it also, it, it gives you the range and then you can click on each one and it, it gives you how to get it in the optimal range essentially. And then it also, when we have the recommendations, it also updates the recommendations to take into account these labs and, and it shows you exactly how it does that. But just looking at just one game changer with using software was looking at the trends. Okay. Mm -hmm. I would not be able to leaf through 20, <laughs> 20 PDFs and figure out what the hell is going on. Control F and where's this PDF? Where's that PDF? See, it just would be too crazy. Once I had this, all of a sudden, and I have it for every marker, right? All of a sudden, I could see, hey, wait a second, my homocysteine's going up. And by the way, one of the reasons why homos my homocysteine went up is because I actually started exercising. And it turns out that if by exercising, you take up a lot of methyl groups, you use a lot of methyl groups. And so that actually increased my homocysteine. And this is despite taking in a lot more methyl groups it's just that either if you're sick or so in this case you see it was 32 i'm able to see that this was because i got sick at this state and this was also because I, with, I had an with your software here does it give you the opportunity to put in like when you got sick or when you did certain medical interventions so you can also see correlations you could take notes if on, on this page, you could put in a note. It doesn't necessarily take into account that information that you put in, but you could put in a note and, and, and see, but I, I just remember that, and sometimes I'll put in notes, but I, I remember that in these two cases, I, one case I was fighting infection, but I wasn't sick, but I know I was fighting infection because I actually felt like I was fighting it. But then I realized like, I, at this point already, I thought, yeah, I'm completely better. Meaning like, it was like uh, it was like a couple hour thing where I felt like, you know, my body's like a little weird. It's fighting something. And then the next day I was completely fine. Mm -hmm. And this and I actually delayed taking this test a little because I wanted to see how I felt. And then I thought here I was actually better. But let me show you a cool trick I learned by how to tell if you're sick. The one marker that always is abnormal when you're sick is iron so far. Right like the most reliable. So these three, these times I was battling an infection. I've never so, actually heard that correlation before. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so you can see my iron is like within the normal range, except in all the times that I was fighting an infection. So this yeah. time it was like a cold and I and I took the test twice and you could see that twice it was abnormal. Here I was normal. The the PDF that I got was just like, okay, you, it lists a whole bunch of different markers, but you can't pay attention to all these things. And then when you see it in the graph here, you're like, wait a second, this makes sense. I was fighting the infection, boom. And, and then you see it went back to normal in November 4th and November 9th. And this is the most accurate. I don't think I know anyone else that tests as often as you do. Yeah, I don't like at think least so one either. or two months going on here. It's impressive. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I do a lot of, I've been doing a lot of testing because I've been realizing that for me to be on the cutting edge, I don't think most people need to do it, but I'm actually trying also to discover right. new things and, and really right. like figure out how to, how to design the software in a better way so that meaning like everything I learn and all the research that comes together, we put into the software. So that the right. software gets smarter. And then and that's just, one of the cool things yeah. is, you know, when you've got this data across large numbers of people and you get to do the meta-analysis, then you get to start to identify patterns that people haven't known before. And not only advance testing, but just advance generally what we understand about causation. Yeah. This is really cool. And I hadn't actually seen this, but yeah, being able to do labs like this over time and very quickly and easily be able to see the trends. That's yeah. And there's another thing crazy. that we have here with suggested labs. So it actually tells you which labs you should get based on your genetic mm -hmm. risks. So you could see, nice. for example, let's say, why is this being recommended? And you could click on each of these things. So these, this means I have a genetic risk, these topics. Mm -hmm. And you could see for each of these things how this lab would influence that. So you, let's say a CMP includes a calcium test, genetically higher levels of calcium may be is causally associated with increased risk for chronic pancreatitis. And there's a reference there. So it's like I would not be able to compute all there's no way I would be able to compute all this data in trying yeah. to think, okay, what lab test should I get or what lab test should somebody else get? You have all these topics. Each of these has references. And, and and then you look at how many things this can actually tell you, which your doctor is never going to tell you. And whoever, however smart all of your professionals are, they can't replace what software can do in a certain way. And that's the magic of, of software. And you want to combine those. The amount of data that a software can process is just inherently going to be more than any individual, no matter how good they are. Yeah. And, and also, by the way, if you ever, let's say if you're ever want to find out how a supplement interacts with your genetics or labs, you could either type in any supplement or you could look mm -hmm. at any supplement and it's going to show you which labs it's helping. Let's say curcumin in this case, it's helping with my lipoprotein A, fasting glucose. And here it means that it was suboptimal in the past and it's helping with these, right? And then and it's also helping with my... No, it doesn't necessarily know that's what helped with these. It just knows that those got better and the curcumin. Yeah, those got better. So it's, it's just listing them because it was saying that at some point in the past, these were suboptimal. So if you look at, let's say, HbA1c here, you're going to see that at some points in the past, it was suboptimal, like in this case, okay? Which means that there, you, you want to... Meaning like you, you could... It could be suboptimal again. Now, at this point, it's optimal... 
but that's because I'm doing things. It's not randomly, right? But so what is all the labs that it's helping with and then all the genetic risks. You can see that and then you could click on each one and you see how it helps by aiding these different risks, right? So that's, yeah, that, that's, that's the software piece that I was talking about where number one is I use software to combine lots of data and kind of prioritize what makes sense for me. And then also check up if I see a new supplement, I could see, okay, does this make sense? And that has been quite helpful because you could see, you look at all your personalized data in one shot and it allows you to see it very clearly. And then the other sense, also just looking at my labs, like you saw in one table and seeing, okay, what's happening. And then you could click on each one that goes to its own page, but you can clearly see where is it going? I mean, one of the things about this that I love so much is that if done correctly, it's very empowering for people. Because I think one of the places where people tend to get stuck a lot in their health is that they've got whatever symptoms going on that are making them feel bad, but they don't know what's happening and therefore they don't have a sense that I can do something about it. And so, yeah, you might experiment with a couple of things here and there, but there's not really that sense of clarity of, oh, this is happening likely because of this. And that's something that I can actually address. And so when you start to get into these types of dynamics where you are running labs, where you are tracking it both, I think it can take a lot of the fear and anxiety around health issues away because you start to have more of an understanding of what's happening. It's not just this and it then gives you a path to actually be able to do something to make a real change. And yeah, it, time to be able to see if those changes are working or if adjustments are needed. It's going to be huge on joints, but I don't know if, have you tried our Senolytic product before? Maybe. What does it have in there? It's nine different Senolytic compounds. The highest dose ones would be quercetin and visetin. Uh, but okay. we actually just, about two weeks ago, we just published a clinical trial on that product, looking at a bunch of things, but one of the couriers that we were looking at was joint health because senescent cells are known to pool up in joint tissue and the results were stunning. We saw a 68% reduction in joint discomfort after people took the product three times. And I've noticed that myself as well, because joints has also been like one of my underlying and I've been on that product for little under a year since we put it out basically. And my joint issues have gotten drastically better. So we got quercetin, fisetin, long vita curcumin, olive leaf extract. So I've taken all the ingredients individually. I would imagine. And I'll tell you why, and, and they're all good ingredients, right? So let's be clear. This is a, looks like a very good product, but I would say that for me personally, I'll tell you what would be some of the potential issues. And, and this is based on my lab testing. I'm not just saying, but again, all these ingredients are obviously great ingredients, right? And somebody who is not very advanced or is not taking 150 supplements and doing lab testing every two weeks, it's, it, it's, it seems like it's a good product based on the ingredients, but I'll just tell you some of the things that I've learned from some of these individual ingredients yeah, and what doesn't work for me. So basically, uh, flavonoids don't work really work that well for me because they lower my thyroid hormones. And that would include quercetin, fisetin, uh, luteolin, and 
Yeah, so that would be those would be some examples of and maybe it's hard to know because they don't really do some of these things are not I mean it's not studied on clinical trials or anything like that. It's in animals in high doses they lower thyroid hormones and one of the negative effects for me taking a lot of supplements was taking of my T3. And mm-hmm. so what I did was I went through all of my supplements that I was taking and knocked out any ones that either had clinical trials of lowering T3. And so two of them was carnitine and higher dose of niacin. So I was taking about 1,000 milligrams of niacin, but that can lower thyroid hormones. I knocked those out. But even then, I still was like, I looked into everything that could lower thyroid hormones, and some of these things could potentially lower them. Now, again, you could check your thyroid, your T3, and you could see, is it? What level are you at and what level are you at after taking a whole bunch of supplements or different combinations? For me, yeah, just because and, – and again, these things are obviously have tons of benefits, which is why I've been taking them. Also, different ingredients like Fisidin, right? That's a big thing in, in the longevity space now. So like the ingredients, there's no problem with the ingredients. It's just that you have – I think – if you're taking a lot of supplements, and I notice this in some other people, so I've seen in other people who take a lot of supplements, a lot of flavonoids, their T3 tends to be on the lower end. <laughs> and, and it's something you want to check. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you would, with this product, I think you would actually have a different experience because what you're referencing is more related to continuous use of those supplements. So if you're taking high doses of flavonoids all the time, then you could see that. With That's true. With senolytics, so all, basically all of the research around getting rid of senescent cells has indicated that what's most effective is what's referred to as the hit and run technique, where you take super high doses periodically as opposed to taking the thing on an ongoing basis. So that's the design of this product, right? Is we've got as you see, like quite high doses of a number of these things, but you only take it two days per month. Ah, so off, okay. Two days again. And with that- That could be a different story. Yeah, that could be right. different. I still do certain so things like- I'll... The senescent cells, but you don't have mm-hmm. some of the secondary effects that you would talk about. Or even if you do, if your T3 drops for a day or two a little bit, that's not going to have any material impact. It's more of an issue if that's going for duration. Yes, that's actually a really good point. I think if you're taking it in that way, it's. I would love to test it, but it's probably not going to have an impact on thyroid hormones. I would say, and I love that you got long beta curcumin. That's one of my, I've been taking that for 11 years now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been a constant in my regimen. See, it's going to be different on an individual basis, right? If you get 10 people who all have joint issues, they don't all have them for the same exact reasons. And so being able to do the research and figure out which the right ones are is key. Because, yeah, for you, if your body wasn't able to make use of collagen, that's going to be a huge issue. And the senolytics probably would have helped, but not, they wouldn't have fixed it by themselves if that's still there. Whereas, like, for a lot of other people, it turns out that having a buildup of senescent cells is a primary cause of different kinds of joint issues. Yeah. What do you do for... What do you do to measure biological age and see if things are working in that regard? Because there's a bunch of clocks and there's different methylation clocks and uh, glycan clocks and this. 
I've done different tests before. We we just built an NAD product and just did a clinical study on that. And NAD is obviously like a core biomarker associated with. Lately, we've been looking at blood levels of NAD and all those metabolites. Give me an example of what your levels were and what they are. Like, give me some information about that. Yeah, let me see if I can pull mine up real quick. Because I'm curious what, what you were able to do in that regard. And also, I noticed your product doesn't have any NMN in here. Is that by on purpose or? Yeah, NMN got pulled from the market regulatory-wise. Okay. Uh, and There's still hmm. a lot of people selling yeah. it, though. There are. We just, like, we, as a company, we don't do anything that isn't clearly allowable from a regulatory perspective. There's all kinds of gray okay. zone stuff where as we've gotten bigger, we just try to be fairly cautious. Like when you're a small startup, you can get away with things. And NMN is a great ingredient. When you look at the actual clinical research around it, NMN and NR have almost identical effects on NAD levels. Uh, and they're obviously getting there through slightly different paths, but inevitably both are going to go up regardless of which one that you take. So we chose not to work with the NMN, mostly for regulatory reasons. But have you tried NMN and tinamide riboside? But I haven't done. And I personally haven't done lab testing with it. Okay. So I've tried it just to notice how I feel, and it, especially when I do high doses, then I do definitely feel a change in energy levels, kind of sense of vitality. Although I will say, even. With our NAD product now, even just taking the standard dose of that without doing like a thousand milligrams of NMN like I've done, I get more out of it. And actually, what kind of change did you see in your NAD results? Let's see. And I don't remember the most recent with mine. I remember more some of the ones that we just studied. We, we okay. actually just completed another clinical trial on that. And what we saw there was with people... But the average when people were on it for 30 days was a 88% increase in NAD levels, which okay. is huge, right? The next best thing on the market is a 50% increase. And that's so what? That, that was a big, that would be just straight NR. So there's, there's a number of companies that sell just a, a straight NR product. And what does NMN do, for example? What percentage does it increase? Straight NM. The last study I saw on NMN was around a 40% increase. Okay. Um, so it was actually slightly less than NR. And then like, so in our product, what we're doing is we're doing NR, but we're also using niacin and niacinamide. So all okay. of the primary precursors to both ramp up the production of NAD. And then we're also including a very low amount of caffeine because it helps to produce more of the enzyme necessary to convert NMN into NAD in the body. And then we're using resveratrol and some other polyphenols to help with the other enzyme productions that are related. Does the resveratrol, I see this 50 milligrams of transresveratrol. Does that help you think? Yeah. Yeah. Resveratrol has, there's, if I'm correct, I think two clinical studies showing where resveratrol will increase the enzymes necessary for basically once NAD is utilized by the body and it turns back into niacinamide, the enzyme okay. then converts it back. And that that's why we're including it is 
it's not just about giving the precursors to make more. It's also about being able to support the enzymatic processes to do the conversions. Because mm -hmm. within AD, you have sin that'll come into the body, which then converts into niacinamide, which converts into NR, which converts into NMN, which then converts into NAD. And then the whole process starts all over again. So it's having those core components, but also making sure that you're supporting the processes by which they convert. And then ultimately the end output of that is way higher amounts of ATP, which essentially makes everything better. Yeah, I'm very happy with this product. We knew it was going to do more than the other stuff based on a lot of clinical research going into it to have just finished the clinical trial on that and actually get to see that it's notably more impactful than everything else that's been studied. And like, for instance, now with this one, part of what made it doable is that there's now two companies that make at home NAD tests. Whereas mm. before we wanted to do that, we had to have everybody go into clinics and get blood draws. Now mm. that can be done with a finger prick and shipping it in. So okay. And how many people were part of the trial? That one was a 50 person study. We have okay, another 50 person study underway currently. And then we'll probably end up doing a larger one, but that's plenty needed for being able to see statistical significance. Past that is more just that I get excited about doing studies. Interesting. Yeah, we've done, these are the only two clinicals, like we've done over 30 pilot studies through the company. But that's a lot. Clinicals are, every single product has at least one pilot study. Several of them have multiple pilot studies. Uh, and now that we're getting a little bit bigger and we have the bandwidth, we're starting to move progressively more into full-scale clinical. Our pilots were effectively clinical anyways, because like we would do the same processes, same controls. We just weren't also filing for the IRBs and doing some of the other things that tend to make it take longer and cost more. But now that we've gotten a little bit bigger and we have that bandwidth, we're starting to do progressively more of that. Yeah. Just these last couple of months have been super exciting because we had the positive clinical trial come out on the Cenolytic product. And then just a few weeks later, what was the, on the NAD product? What was the clinical trial on the Cenolytic product? What was the, like, so outcome? The we were largely looking at things related to joint health, because that's one of the primary issues that are associated with senescent cells. So there it was a 68% decrease in joint discomfort. 51% decrease in joint stiffness. But that's joint like knee stuff or all joints. What kind of joints? In knees. Like elbows, tendons are, and joints are different, for example. They're not the same. So the study format that we use is a, a study that is traditionally for studying arthritis and then various interventions okay. for it. You're looking at, it's all joints, but things that are going to be pain, stiffness, inflammation, these are the kinds of things that are being looked at. So it was largely focused on joints. We did also do what's called the RAND SF36, which is a overall quality of life metrics. So that's mm. doing like structured surveying around people's like energy and fatigue levels, around their sense of emotional well-being, their subjective sense of their physical health uh, and we saw meaningful improvements in all of those as well. But the real standout was the joint health because it was 
not much that you come across on the market that can see those kinds of reductions, especially in a very healthy way, right? Like you could do a cortisone injection into your knee and you'd see that kind of improvement, but it would only last for a little while and there'd be other problems associated. So to be able to see that much of a drop in joint problems in a way that is both healthy and sustainable is pretty awesome. That's interesting. Yeah, that's I, I didn't realize that the the whole synalytics were against joint issues. There's senescent cells that build up everywhere. Certain tissue types seem to have more buildup than others, and joints is one of the primary ones. At some point, we want to do a study to actually look at the exact reduction in senescent cells, but the only way to do that is through tissue biopsies. And so okay. that's a very invasive kind of study. Right? We'd have to be do multiple tissue biopsies on each person in multiple tissue types. And that's a lot harder to get people to want to sign up for. At, at some point we'll do that study, but right now we're largely looking at all the clinical research to see what are the symptomologies associated with excessive senescent cells and then doing studies to be able to look at where those symptoms improve. Interesting. That's really cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I'll, I would like to I'll definitely try out, I'm looking at the quality of life 2.0, the mitochondria one that looks interesting. Mm -hmm. Love that products. I think it's not quite as popular of a product as some of them, but I actually think it's probably quite possibly the best product we've ever formulated. And okay. Which one is your ones. most popular? Qualia Mind and Qualia Senolytic are, are two most popular. They're pretty comparable. Interesting. Okay. Obviously very different use cases. The quality mind the be... quality of mind is mainly for mood or cognitive function? It's primarily for cognitive function, but it does do quite a lot for mood as well. Like the main focus in the formulation is improved cognitive function, but you'll see mm -hmm. there's several different ingredients there that are designed for both mood balancing and mood improving. Okay. So, Interesting. And yeah, you I mean, take all of one, your formulas? You take all yeah, of your I mean, I formulas? Take, I don't take all of them every day. There are certain ones that are like staples for me that I'm pretty much always on. Uh, Which ones? So like my, like mind, life, NAD, and Senolytic are ones that I'm super consistent around. We have a skin product, which is awesome but it's not as big of a priority for me. So it's, if I'm not already taking too many other capsules, I take that one. Right. If I'm How many capsules are you like taking I'm now? Get nauseous. <laughs> oh, my number's way lower now. I'm down to probably 60 a day. Okay. Um, All right. Still respectable. Yeah. It's, it's still not trivial, but... And I go through phases over the years. Like right, right. now, I'm in a phase where I'm focused more on lifestyle and a little bit less on heavy dosing supplements. Okay. So I'm putting more emphasis on trying to get really good sleep and do more exercise and clean up diet and things like that. And then I go through phases where I go crazy on supplements. And then I go through phases where I go crazy on really expensive biohacks. What? Recently, I went and did a couple of EBOO treatments. So basically, you go into a clinic and they put you on the dialysis machine that also pumps your blood with massive amounts of ozone. It's equivalent to 50 traditional ozone treatments. 
and they okay. regulate blood through UV light. You're killing off tons and tons of pathogens through the ozone and the UV. And then the dialysis, you're pulling out all types of inflammatory proteins and heavy metals and other toxins. So it's just like a way to clean your bloodstream. Interesting. And how did you feel from that? Great. It was interesting. Like people asked me how I felt and the best describer of descriptive word I could come up with was I felt clean inside, which I know is like a weird thing to say, but it, yes, I did feel a little bit more energetic. I did feel a little bit more mental clarity, but like the main thing was there was just the sense that my insides got cleaned out. And so do you still do the IV NADs? I haven't actually for a little while. I was basically up until we launched our product. Then like about once a quarter or so, I would do an NAD IV. Okay. Um, at this point, I may still do them here and there, but there's not as much relevance because now I can just keep my NAD levels up consistently and it's a lot easier. NAD IVs can do so much benefit, but the actual process of doing them is pretty shitty. I don't know if you've done them before, but when you're- Any IV is a little shitty. They just stick a needle in you for a while and- Oh, this is a whole different level. Oh, it's a different level. Because like I've done lots of nutritional IVs and- if you're afraid of needles, it's an issue. But like for me, I'm pretty comfortable there. So just, okay, I've got to sit here for 45 minutes. <laughs> but with NAD, it's a very long duration. Depending on the dose that you're doing, it's typically between three and eight hours that you're on an IV. Oh my gosh. And the whole time that you're on it, you feel a combination of like dizzy and nauseous. But the nausea is not really in your GI tract. It's like your bloodstream feels nauseous. Oh, wow. So it's not a very fun experience that goes away as soon as you're done and then you feel awesome. So it's totally worth it. But what I tend to do is I do NAD parties. So like I'll have a group of friends come over and I have a doctor that'll come over and do us all at the same time. And that way we at least get to hang out in our misery. Because you're sitting there for eight hours just feeling like crap by yourself it's not very fun um, oh wow okay you at least have five or six that's a whole day event the same thing yes you should probably get high while you're doing it or something <laughs> i have done that as well <laughs> it helps <laughs> if you're not doing anything for eight hours no nah, you could watch some tv i don't know yeah i, I know what? like the first times i did an ad ivs i was like god i'm gonna be there forever i'm gonna bring my laptop and get a bunch of work done and there, with how bad I felt, there was just no way that I could actually focus to get anything done. I ended up watching Netflix the whole time. Interesting. All right. Awesome. Appreciate cool. the uh, conversation. And where can people find more about you, about the products? Yeah. Best places to go to neurohacker.com. Find out about all the products. All of our studies are published on there. And then I believe we actually have a coupon code for your listeners if you all right let's do it uh, code self decode when you're in checkout you'll get an extra 15 percent off all right cool and then i saw the prices the, the prices are, are pretty decent because if you buy them all separately you're going to pay more and then also you have the first month is it's like half off or something right or yeah. a disc- yeah. big discount. Most of our customers end up doing subscriptions because they want to stay on the product for a long time. So we have it set up where you get 50% off the first month. That way, there's an opportunity to 
try it without spending a whole lot before being committed right. for long term. And then with and the you're saving a lot, even bond, you'll get an extra fifteen percent another fifteen percent off. No, that's a pretty good deal because mm-hmm. with the fifteen percent and then the, the first month, and then even if you're like if you were to buy all them separately and then put them all together. And oh, then it's much, much more expensive. We've had people go online before and do those comparisons. And, you know, like I think somebody did it with mine one time. And mine is $150 products. Buying all those things individually was like $700. Yeah, no, it's, I could look at the products I see. It's like buying stuff individually. It's, and then it's also more annoying. You're taking more pills. But yeah, so yeah, I think it's a cool product to try out. And, I would recommend people taking the product for a month and then do actually doing NAD lab testing to see what your before and after is. Yeah, it's been yes. a it's been a pleasure. Good catching up, and uh, glad everything's uh, going well. And uh, yeah, best of luck. We'll be in touch. Sounds good. Thanks Have for coming on. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Sixty-seven percent of listeners aren't following the show. So please don't forget to show your support by hitting the follow button now. You'll not only be supporting the show, but also investing in yourself and your health journey, all while helping to keep us ad-free.